The Guardian. Nova is America's most watched science series. You'll find it every night at 7.50 on PBS. Sky Channel 166, Virgin Media 243. PBS, where television matters. What we offer is a government that has a plan to deal with our nation's debts to keep interest rates low. A government determined to support businesses and support jobs. A government committed to take Britain safely through the storm. Leadership for tough times. That's what we offer. And I commend this statement to the House. The black hole in Britain's economy is bigger than we thought. The country is struggling to avoid a new recession and the financial pinch will last well into the next parliament. Hello, this is the Business Podcast. I'm Adit Chakraborty. And I'm Tom Clark for this week's combined edition with Politics Weekly. We knew the figures would be bad, but we didn't know they would be quite this bad. According to the government's own projections, Britain's structural deficit, rather than being eliminated, is now bigger than the Treasury thought. And it's on a course to outlast his Parliament. Borrowing's rising too. Oh, and unemployment. Growth, meanwhile, is flat. George Osborne may have rebadged the pre-budget report as the plain old autumn statement, but the contents of his red box are as ominous as they ever were. The bust was deeper and had an even greater impact on our economy than previously thought. And the result of this analysis is that the OBR have significantly reduced their assumptions about spare capacity in our economy and the trend rate of growth. For Ed Balls, it was confirmation of everything he's been saying for months, or at least that's what he'd have you think. More borrowing than the Chancellor planned a year ago. More borrowing than the plan which the Chancellor inherited at the last general election, Mr Speaker. And as a result, his economic and fiscal strategy is in tatters. Joining us this week to discuss all of this, we've got our economics editor, Larry Elliott, and our political economist, Jackie Ashley. Welcome to you both. Well, the government got its retaliation in first. The stimulus measures, such as they are, have been heavily trailed for the past three weeks or so. But the figures that really mattered were the independent ones on growth, debt and borrowing. Having set up the Office for Budget Responsibility to lend credibility to those Treasury predictions, George Osborne was forced to read out their figures in all their gory detail. Larry, let's go to you first. What did we actually learn about the state of the economy today? Well, two big things, I think. One is that growth is much weaker than we thought it was going to be both this year, next year and the year after. So the economy's performance is dreadful and will remain dreadful for the foreseeable future. It's probably going to be, I thought, well into 2014 until the economy recovers to where it was before the recession started in 2008. So that's six, seven years probably to get back to where we were which is a dreadful performance by historical standards. That's the first thing we know. The second thing that Osborne said was that the structural damage caused by the boom bust was actually even worse than we thought. And that was actually quite a significant part of his speech, which because less of the deficit he thinks will get washed away as growth picks up to its trend, that requires even bigger tax increases and spending cuts to actually repair the damage to the public finances. And that was the backdrop to today's pushing out of the pain into the next parliament. So 
the next election, Osborne is going to have to go into it saying that he plans to cut spending by an additional fifteen billion pounds in the first two years of that Parliament, which is going to be an interesting message to put to the put to the public. So the pain goes on and on and on. That's the, that's the other message from today's big macro messages. There are obviously there are big political messages as well, but those are the big economic messages. Do you remember um, David Cameron, Jackie, a little while before the last election saying it will be a hard, hard climb to the summit, but by Jove, the view from the summit will be worth it. Um, How... Do you think he can do that again in 2015? Um, I don't think so. I think we're going to get to the summit and there's going to be, oh, another one that's just behind another summit to climb as well. And I think that's the problem for George Osborne is that he didn't really have any good news to announce at all. I thought he was very unconvincing trying to say that this was all the fault of anyone but him. It was the fault of the euro. It was the fault of energy and commodity prices. It was the fault, of course, of Gordon Brown and Ed Balls before him. But he took no blame at all uh, for the fact that really his policies over the last 18 months have not been working. This was the first time he's had to come to the House of Commons and admit that. And I thought for once Ed Balls was able to make uh, a combative speech, a speech he clearly enjoyed making, saying quite rightly that Plan A is not working. Do you think this is the end of Plan A, Edicha? I think actually what Ed Balls was very effective at was, was saying that George Osborne now owns this, you know, this slump that we're in. From here on, he can't blame it on Labour. Actually, whether you can blame it on the euro is a moot point. It's debatable. Well, it's going to be much worse with yeah. the euro, but where it is now, you can't blame so much on the euro. Exactly. And so he's trying, he's trying to hang the recession around the neck of the Chancellor. I wonder, Larry, where that leaves, you know... George Osborne's famous plan A is it now something that we forget about or is it something that you just put a few modifications on and it still goes trundles along well in in an important sense it still is plan A because it still involves hitting all the budget targets that he said maybe it takes a bit longer but there's been no net increase in spending today and there's been no net cut in taxes today so there's no stimulus here so a real plan B would have involved him saying well the economy is performing less well, unemployment is higher, therefore I'm going to give the economy some form of fiscal boost. His argument was that he couldn't do that because to do so would have meant he'd lose the confidence of the financial markets and that would have resulted in higher market interest rates and the cost of that would have been even, would have, would have outweighed anything he could have done in terms of higher spending or cutting taxes. I somewhat doubt whether that's true actually. I think that actually the markets are starting to come round to the idea that austerity everywhere is, is actually part of the problem now. They are looking for some sign that governments can grow their way out of their budgetary problems and there was no real evidence in today's speech that Osborne recognised that at all. I mean I think that really that we are still stuck in, with the sort of Herbert Hoover type mindset, which is that you don't use fiscal policy even in a very, very deep slump, which is what Britain is currently in. And you know, the, the, the interesting point that Ed Balls made, and, and, and it was obvious when Osborne rattled off the borrowing figures, was that because growth is lower, he is being forced to borrow cumulatively something like £113 billion extra over the coming years than he previously planned. So it's quite clear that you know, even by his own yardstick, this plan is failing because borrowing is not coming down as fast as he thought it would. And you can't just put that down to the the structural problems caused by the boom bust. Part of it is due to the fact that he crushed 
business and consumer confidence during the first six to nine months that they were in power and has left the economy much weaker than he thought. The economy was just coming out, you know, just coming off of life support when the coalition came to power. And they just gave it the sort of shock treatment when it really couldn't, it couldn't, it couldn't take it. It just couldn't take the amount of austerity and, and the sort of pummeling they gave it through sort of them repeatedly saying that Britain was about to become the new Greece and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I think that the Osborne has actually, to an extent, made a rod for his own own back here uh, and as yet I don't, I, he, as yet he has not really changed course I don't it's think. very hard to see given the measures he announced and given his priorities how he is going to get more growth in the next few years I think isn't it because he essentially took money out of the pockets of the poorer who are the ones who actually spend most of their money and put it into these longer term infrastructure pro- projects which are going to take a few years before they are actually generating jobs or any growth at all so I think the prospects for the immediate next couple of years look even grimmer than they did before today's statement yeah I mean I thought it was I thought in many ways it was just some just like a Gordon Brown budget. Listening to him rattling off all the infrastructure projects was just like listening to Gordon Brown. But there were sort of three, three big differences. I, I thought one was that Brown's budgets tended to support poor families rather than mm. better off people. It's just one certainly didn't. The second was that Brown's speeches t- were against a background of sort of quite sunny economic. Mm. Conditions. I mean, Brown was Chancellor for 10 years, and in all that time, the economy didn't have one real quarter of negative growth. So Brown was always able to come to the dispatch box and say, you know, things are going great and we're doing much better than the, than the rest of Europe. Um, and, and the third way, third reason really was that, you know, Brown's measures did seem to have a real intellectual coherence, which I thought. This didn't. Oh, do you think do you think Osborne doesn't have that? Well, I, th- I thought the, the the attempt to mix up sort of the austerity with some cheap stimulus just didn't really make any sense to me intellectually. I mean, I, I thought that you could understand where he was coming from six months ago, a year ago. I couldn't really understand where he was coming from today. I mean, I didn't always agree with what Brown did, and I think some of the things he did didn't work. But you always knew pretty much when Brown was giving one of his speeches what it was about, really. Well, I think this did have a clear message, and I, I, it's one I obviously don't like, which is that we're going to make uh, life as easy as we can for business, uh, and we're going to declare war on the public sector, um, from the the freeze on public sector pay to the moves to make it much easier for firms to sack people, to the sort of cheery dismissal of health and safety. It was very much war on the public sector, war on the workers, where, where there are a lot of measures that are going to make life easier for business. So I thought, you know, if you want to talk of intellectual coherence, that's where he's coming from, which is a really fairly Thatcherite thing that he started to do, isn't it? But isn't there also something, Jackie, I mean, Larry said a moment ago, he's like Herbert Hoover, he's kind of sticking by his numbers, despite the world kind of collapsing around him but there was a bit of kind of Roosevelt in there in these all these things we've been reading about in the papers for the last two or three weeks mortgage schemes you know the Kettering bypass which we're now all familiar with all these things which 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 is very easing you would have expected to be paid for somewhere else other than by taking it out of the pockets of public sector workers but because he won't increase borrowing at all that's where it's had to come from so 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 jackie what's the picture you're left with is it still the iron chancellor or is it you know a a really quite dogmatic man or or what 
I think I think it is the Iron Chancellor in that, as Larry said, there's no extra money. But I think he also he's he's been made to look a little bit silly by having to announce these endless bits of this and that, isn't he? All the infrastructure schemes and the road building, uh, the measures to help motorists, the measures to help rail passengers. You know, he's been made aware that his austerity measures are actually hurting too much, and they can't just carry on being pure and simple austerity measures. So I think he's ended up in a bit of a pickle because no one's quite clear what he does stand for anymore. Can we just pick up on the politics for a second? Obviously, it's a coalition government. Um, part of the Guardian hugging, hoodie hugging, and indeed Lib Dem <laughs> hugging background to the formation of this government was that Cameron's Conservatives would protect the environment, would be very concerned about international aid, and would be very concerned about fairness. Now, he's sort of moved he's quite a bit on all of those. He? Well, he's ditched that completely. I mean, there was quite a. I thought a political part of his speech where he was making absolutely clear that uh, he didn't have much time for the green agenda. Um, And although he's not actually cutting the international development budget, he is certainly saying that, oh, it was going to overshoot, so we're going to remedy that, which sounds pretty much to me like cutting it in real terms. I mean, this is all the detoxification of the Tory brand that David Cameron was undertaking so carefully. Uh, George Osborne seemed to have wiped it out with one statement in the House this afternoon. (laughs) Retoxification. It's the (laughs) retoxification of the Conservative Party, one could argue. it was quite a 1980s feel to it, I thought. I mean, the sort of taking right to d- buy. discussions on sort of taking away trade union rights and uh, making it easy for firms to sack people, and I mean, just the general, you know, quite clear, quite brutal language about abolishing the commitment to the green agenda. Really, I mean, I thought he, he could have, he could have, he could have, he could have given the extra money to the energy intensive industries without doing it in quite such a blatant way. I mean, he just was quite upfront about it. We're not going to see these firms export jobs overseas. You don't save the planet by closing down steel plants and, 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 and smelting factories and so on. So, I mean, I thought it was quite 1980s that some parts of the, some parts of the speech, you know, you, you wouldn't have known at times whether it was really a coalition government or not. I mean, it could have been given by Nigel Lawson. Yeah, not much that the Lib Dems could be proud of. Not very much to cheer them. I mean, you looked at the Lib Dem faces and they didn't look that happy. Hang on, but before we carry on in all this gloom and sort of shocking, shocking results for George Osborne, was there anyone in the House that you thought would be particularly pleased with what George Osborne said today? Was anyone who, who you thought of maybe on Tory backbenches who might have thought, well, actually, that, you know, in circumstances, that wasn't a bad show? Well, so, I mean, a lot of the Tory right, of course, wanted progress on getting rid of the 50p tax rate and things like that. So they're not going to be overjoyed. They would also have wanted some more anti-European noises. He didn't make particularly strong So how is Osborne going to defend what he's just done to his, to his own party then? Well, he will say, I've not increased uh, borrowing one little bit, won't he? And and he will say, I've given help to businesses um, and I'm cutting red tape. I mean, all the Tories talk about mm. these days, it's regulation, it's red tape, it's all these wicked rules, a lot of which, of course, have come from Brussels, and we don't quite know how that's going to uh, gel. Also, Radicha, he'll say, look, I mean, the problem of the economy back in the, the latter days, the dog days of Labour was debt, too much private sector debt, and too much public sector debt. And the economy of the future has got to be weaned off both those drugs. And so that's really what I mean. If you look at the profile of growth going forward, when the growth, if, if it ever picks up to 3%, which I somewhat doubt, but that's, that's in the forecast, almost half that growth is going to come from business investment. Only half of it's going to come from consumer spending. So quite clearly, you know, consumers are going to have to wean themselves off the drug of debt to fund their... So that's, that's part of it. But the other big part of it, and this is a bit probably that will appeal to the Tory right and to some of the Tory think tanks, is it's quite clearly about, you know, reducing the size of the public sector and reducing the size of the state. And that will please mm. groups like the, you know, Institute of Economic Affairs and the Adam Smith 
Smith Institute, they, that's the sort of thing they've been badgering about. They, their argument is quite similar to that in the late 1970s, which is that the private sector is being choked by a, you know, a bloated public sector. And the way to deal with it is to cut the public sector down to size. So there we have, And bash the union. And bash the union. So, union I mean, you know, one of the well. things we haven't talked about is the fact that, you know, which was dropped in was the, the, the attempt to bring to an end, you know, national pay bargaining for the public sector, which is a very, very big deal for the, for the unions. I mean, so well, if you look at all the measures the that the unions didn't like, they won't like the, the, the 1% um, the, the pay freeze, they won't like uh, the increase in the pension age, they won't like the, the end of the proposed international pay bargaining, they won't like all the employment measures to make it easier for people to be sacked. So there's quite a lot there. You can see the sort of battle lines being drawn up there between the government and the, and the public sector, which quite a lot of people on the right will favour I'd have thought they would, they would find that well, there was quite... a real throwing down of the gauntlet just the day ahead of the strike yeah. I thought wasn't quite, it I mean, far from trying to sound conciliatory and make it clear that um, we're all in this together he was absolutely saying it wasn't you know, exactly pouring oil on trouble balls the, the, the unions are the enemy and we're taking the fight to you here we go we're, we're in a, just one second we'll come to the unions but finally Jackie on, on just parliament and the event today um, Ed Ball's was kind of pugnacious and looked like he was enjoying himself. But do you think he'd really decided what he was going to say, what his line of attack was? Well, I think he had a fairly easy hit on the the plan A isn't working because uh, obviously you know the figures are so bad. So he he had that. But having said that, then what he went on to? No, he wasn't quite sure. It was all a bit too little, too late. But that's not a sort of overwhelmingly brilliant economic message, is it? I think Ed Balls's main problem is still you look at the polls and they say people still don't trust him and Labour on the economy. And that's I don't think, although he did a very good performance today, I'm not sure he's actually managed to turn that round yet. And so um, turning to the strike scenario, as you say, we've had news today that after two years of freezes, there's going to be the 1% cap on pay rises the year after. We also know there's 3% coming out for pensions, which is the immediate trigger for the strike. Presumably the Osborne bet is you can rally the private sector many against the public sector few. Yes, I think that is that was precisely the message that there are something like six million workers in the public sector not all of them voted for the strike there are something like 30 million employees in the economy as a whole so the public sector makes up something like 20 percent of the workforce so he would be thinking i'm sure the calculus would be you set the 20 percent against the 80 percent and we'll we'll hold on to the middle ground of politics there that i think was pretty much where the politics this were coming from and i think that you know on the broader broader point it would be that the public is with the government on the state of the economy and knows that things are really bad and that will cling on to nurse for fear of something worse that you know the, 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 one of his big messages was you know it's completely unrealistic to, to try and spend your way out of this and the public know it so i mean that that message so far has worked and i think that you know, the message going forward is more of the same really that the public will stick, stick with us if we stick to our message and that we are the party of the uh, of the nation and the uh, fighting against sectarian interests on, on the union side. I mean, whether that plays or not, you know, is, is, a, is a moot point because there's a quite a lot of people in the private sector who are on low pay who will also be affected by this um, uh, by this mini, mini budget. And there are also quite a lot of people in the private sector who have not had particularly big pay rises or big increases in their pensions for many, many years. So there may well be more support for the for the public sector unions and the government thinks I, I would have thought but um, that certainly is the way he's framing this yes. Jackie what kind of support do you think Labour's offered the 
the public sector unions all of <laughs> if you weren't if you weren't happy with Red Bulls' position on the mini budget and presumably you won't be particularly happy about the clarity of his position they're on in a very difficult position I think aren't they if they come out saying full-hearted support for the strikes they're going to get roasted by the press and the conservatives for being on the side of the wicked red strike breakers it'd be red ed and everything but uh, I think they have been very uncomfortably sitting on the fence there I rather think after today's measures that it will be easier to support the strikers because I think the um in particular, measures like uh, raising the pension age, bringing that forward, that's going to enrage so many people because it breaks this idea of a contract. We always thought we knew when we started work, when we were going to retire, what we were paying in for, and suddenly you've changed the rules of the game. That's what people don't like. It's that apparent unfairness. And I think people will pro- project that onto tomorrow's day of action. And I think actually it would be much easier now for Labour to be seen to be more on the side of the strikers because it will become much more, this is a day of demonstration against a whole raft of really unfair things, taking away our, our rights not to be sacked unfairly, making us work longer than we thought we were going to have to do. And I think actually it will be quite helpful for Labour. And yet, like Larry says, I mean, there's a sense in which maybe the electorate sort of thinks they got into this mess because of debt. They- going to get out of it paying down debt and when you take something like pensions everyone knows people are living longer and everyone knows it's going to be harder to afford now the economy's shot to pieces everyone knows that but everyone also then when it comes to their own pension and you only have to look at some emails you get whenever you or comments you get whenever you write any about everyone thinks when it comes to their own personal thing this isn't fair because this was not the deal i entered into and that's the problem i think you've got the sort of everyone knows what's really good for the economy and everyone knows what they're simply not having in their own uh, personal life Okay, well, we'll talk more about strikes strikes at a later date. But just coming back to the autumn statement, one question to both of you. What's the one new thing that we learned today? Jackie, you first. Oh, the one new thing. Well, we didn't learn much in terms of measures. Most of them were trailed. I mean, <laughs> obviously, the uh, I think just quite how bad um, the figures are, I think, was perhaps the newest thing. We knew they were going to be very bad, but uh, not quite as bad as, as they were. I think that's probably the thing that took me by surprise. I think what took me by surprise was the, the fact that the spending cuts are going to intensify into the next parliament. I think that that I didn't I didn't really fully comprehend just how deep the damage was that was caused during the recession and what that would imply for the public. I thought that was the, that was the biggest thing we found out that actually the damage, the scarring from the recession is much much deeper than we thought and we're gonna it will it will take much longer to to fade away and as a result the pain is going to go on for very many years i mean you're talking now about a a fiscal squeeze that goes on from 2010 until 2017 uh, you know at probably you know that that's the shortest amount of time it's going to go on for a seven-year squeeze now I, can't, I, the old I mean i can't i can't think of any i mean i've go back quite a long way that even the imf squeeze of the 1970s didn't go on for that long you'd have to go back i think probably to the 1920s and maybe even even before that to find a, p- a comparable period so i mean this is a this is a very very brutal squeeze on on, on the public finances and i mean you know, you just wonder whether it's it's really politically tenable that i mean that was that was that was that was what really surprised me about it um i suppose i was interested to learn that the um, protection that was meant to be in there for poorer kids, poorer families offered not by Labour but by the Coalition only last year had been had been withdrawn now that times have got a bit harder. Well that's all for this week there's more on a special edition of this week's Focus podcast on the public sector strikes you can hear that on Thursday but for now a big thanks to Larry Elliott and to Jackie Ashley. The producer was Phil Maynard he's Tom Clark and he's the teacher Chakraborty and thanks very much for listening. 
Nova is America's most watched science series. You'll find it every night at 7.50 on PBS. Sky Channel 166, Virgin Media 243. PBS, where television matters. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.